0: The Be The Difference podcast is presented by Back-to-Back Ministries, a Christian nonprofit organization providing holistic care for orphaned and vulnerable children and families around the world. To find out more about Back-to-Back or to follow on social media, head to backtoback.org.
1: Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people being the difference in the lives of others. I'm Sammy Matthews. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox
0: episode one sammy it is episode one and i'm so excited to be on this journey with you and with you as our listeners we can't wait to get started for this first episode we needed to make sure that it was some pretty special guests who did we choose sammy
1: Well, it's been a long time coming, a lot of dreaming, a lot of planning. And when we were thinking about first guests, the perfect choice was Todd and Beth Guggenberger. They're the co-executive directors of Back to Back Ministries. They are our bosses and we thought we knew their story, but we were excited to learn more.
0: So if you are new to the Back to Back community, this is a great place to start. And for those of you who have been on this journey with us for a while, you believe you know a lot about Todd and Beth and their journey. We just wanted to encourage you that Sammy and I were surprised at some of the content that was shared and really the vulnerability and the transparency that Todd and Beth share in this first episode. And with that, let's get right to it. Enjoy Todd and Beth Guckenberger. Welcome to the Be The Difference podcast, Todd and Beth. We're so grateful that you chose to join us and be officially the first guests on this podcast. We set you up, in this effort to make sure that you were able to give us authentic answers by giving you a list of questions, and we asked you not to share your answers with one another, which for any audience member that knows Todd and Beth, you know that that's very difficult because they really like the journey of oneness and sharing, (laughs) processing together. So I need to start with this question. Were you able to keep your answers from one another in the questions that we've asked today?
2: We did. We are over communicators, so there are that was that's a good question, good risk, but we we, we obeyed.
3: Yeah, and we like to get each other's feedback, so we did though. We didn't we didn't talk about it at all. No, there's a good chance Beth didn't pull her notes out until now. But
2: <laughs> we do have some style differences that helped.
1: <laughs> so as we were thinking about what we wanted to ask you, we all know that 25 years ago you guys moved to Monterey, but no one wakes up one day and decides just to move to another country. There's Experiences that you have before that that instill this idea of having something to offer. So, what early experience or relationship did you each have that really made you believe you had something to offer to others?
3: I, th- I think for me, the there's really two different incidents that happened. One is. Uh, where i was on a short term trip i was a youth sponsor and i was with a bunch of kids but we were staying in host family homes which is really unusual so i was literally in the attic of this this ho- this mexican family's house and the year before they'd lost all their jobs cuz the economy crashed and this guy was a banker and now he was selling tacos on the street
2: you were probably 21 22
3: yeah maybe 20 maybe yeah. and and but i just i was just overwhelmed with their generosity their invitation and i was writing my journal late not late at night in in that attic and it was real hot you know overwhelming Stuffy, but I just felt like God said, "This is what I want you to do the rest of your life," and it was it was so profound. I still actually have the journal. It's one of those ones that looks like a, like a zebra on the outside. It's it's just it was it's just profound. And then the second one is, we were in Albania on a short term mission trip with with Camp Crusader crew and. We were walking by down the street in Albany. We're one of the first people in the country to share the gospel, and we literally saw a baby on the street just sitting there, and people were throwing money at the baby sleeping. And we've un- undis- discovered that it was a gypsy's baby. They keep them up all night, so they get money, and it's kind of their way of business, and it literally broke us. And I say that those two things really, for me, were my defining moments.
2: I'm going to back up to a more personal story that we don't typically share, outward-facing. But So Todd and I started dating in high school, we had a little stint where we dated our junior year of high school, and then a little stint where we didn't date, and then then we got back together. And in that, the very first conversations of the getting back together season, we were um, eighteen years old. And we started to talk about this life. Like, we didn't know what this life looked like exactly, but we started talking about how we wanted an unconventional life, that we wanted a life that built a different kind of kingdom, even though I didn't even know what those words meant exactly. And we started to talk about, we 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 thought we knew for sure that it was going to involve kids. And even though, frankly, we were kids ourselves, but it, it was, I, those were some of the initial things that really attracted us to each other. Like, you stand out to me because you're on another weird little track, just like I am, to do something with our life that doesn't add up what to what everyone else might think it would be.
1: Hmm. I love what you said that like you knew you were going to serve children, but you were children yourself. And <laughs> that doesn't disqualify a dream. No. no. Being young or being inexperienced or not even really knowing what that's going to mean or entail. Yeah. And we even started talking. I mean, like this is what
2: like makes my mind go, is that We started talking about Mexico, and neither of us had been to Mexico. I was a French student. I had been to Paris. I would go on in college to study French. But, like, we still had a couple of just, uh, like, like if you think about a puzzle, we had a couple edges (laughs) that kept getting filled in.
0: It stood out to me even, Todd, as you shared your first two illustrations, that both were illustrations of um, connection. When you had already chosen to go, right? They were already in these third spaces uh, with families or on a mission trip, and it stands out a little bit that you you went before you knew, and then the knowledge or the like that connection came while you were already going. Uh, what led you into into that space where you're already in this attic uh, and and led you to to show up? I I think just somehow innately in both of us, there's this deep
3: desire to serve others, and. And see the need, meet the need. It's like and – and I know that can get upside down sometimes. But for us, we just constantly see people. And I, and I think because of that, sure, I'll go on a trip. Sure, I'll invest in youth that are going on a trip. and then, And then God moving in that attic in that house and I think even being in Albania, you know, sure, I'll go. That actually was my first international trip. I had to get a passport for the trip to Albania.
2: And one of our marriage values – that kind of, we didn't like say the value and then live it out. It kind of was being lived out. And then we eventually articulated was that it's worth the work. Every Like people are worth the work. And I think sometimes you might have a dream or a calling or a vision and you think, oh my gosh, what it would take to do that feels like a, like a showstopper. Like I'm not going to, even though that would be really cool, it will take way too much to get there. And we feel that way. Even, you know, I think about, some of the decisions we made to be foster parents or different things that like, no, no, none of the eventual hard, if somebody had told it to us like, hey, this is going to happen on this journey, would have stopped us. There's this feeling like it's worth it. Like it's worth the work, whatever the work is.
0: So fast forward a little bit in that journey to that morning, you're you're packing the last uh, piece of luggage. Locking it down on what was it, an Azuzu is that, a Zuzu Trooper? Is that right? On the Zuzu Trooper. <laughs> so, what emotion do you remember as you were getting ready to put the key in the ignition and head south uh, on that journey toward moving to Mexico?
2: <laughs> Which we had to use an atlas. To get us to Mexico, yeah, so for those of you <laughs> who don't know, it's a big book with a map in it.
0: So,
3: so Can you yeah. press a button? Is it an app? Is it a <laughs> well? I actually think we went to no.
2: We didn't have a trip ticket yet. It's just, from AAA, it was just yeah. an atlas. So
3: we had to follow the map, and so I, I remember really being excited. I think we felt uninhibited, which which personality wise doesn't fit me entirely in the sense of feeling like oh sure let's just go. But I think because we had we had saved some money, we had very little responsibility. We were excited and felt like it was we were compelled to go and it was it was fun. Closer we got to the border, you know, my tension starts getting higher mm. and Beth's like, Yeah, it's gonna work out and you know, of course in different styles, but but I think as we left and we were prepared you know, I wanted everything we needed. We brought a vacuum cleaner. Who brings a vacuum cleaner to a country that only has tile? You know, <laughs> or a
2: like, Japanese car or whatever a Suzuki. is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Susan took.
3: Trooper. You can't get any parts repaired there. <laughs> so, you know, we had no idea on a, lot of, on a lot of ways, but we were really just excited to go and be used and be led.
2: To be honest, I think about some of the hurdles we cleared right off the bat. They're really supernatural. Um, we didn't understand how to— how to get through the border. Like literally didn't even understand that process and we did it wrong and got partway into the country and they sent us back. And we had no language skills and we had to fill out forms and pay fines and we and it was just like how did that? Like I look back and go how did we do that? And I realize somewhere there was like this favor that was sitting on us cuz at any one of those moments we could have been like let's go back home and study maybe Spanish for a little bit or We got into the city and, you know, our atlases didn't work, no GPS. City's about six million people. We had to find one house in the middle of that city, not speaking the language and not knowing how to get there. So we had this like really kind of inspired idea to hire a taxi, tell them the address and then follow the taxi there. And that wasn't something we had been planning for a long time. It was on the like checklist of what to do. It was like, how are we going to find this place? Well, I bet the taxis know how to get places. Let's just show a taxi an address and try to try to convince them we're not getting in the backyard, the back seat, and like a lot of really um, moments that I think could have should have discouraged us, but we just kept like feeling this lightness of spirit. Like we had our all of our utilities turned off because we didn't understand how to pay the utilities, and like how, like I think now like how did we figure out how to do that? Like somehow that felt fun when really it should have felt very discouraging. But I think God gave us some some lightness.
0: That's powerful. I, that As you were sharing, my question was, how were you interacting with each other in all of those circumstances? You used, just used the word fun yeah. um, in that circumstance. Is that do you agree that you were on the same page and you were able to stay in step with each other even through those hurdles?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we for for the most part there were moments of small tension where sure. you know, like as we got to the border and then they we drove in thirty miles, they turned, they, they said you can't come in, you got to go back. You start realizing, oh wait, this is going to be a little harder than we anticipated. It wasn't this quick, easy pull the trigger and you can go. But we always stayed on the same page, especially then. <laughs> I mean, with no kids and very little responsibility, it was in that case it was just take the hill.
2: Yeah, like our house had a lot of cockroaches, the first house we lived in, and um, instead of like screaming I think out, we should
0: pause it Did you just say our house had a lot of cockroaches? Yeah, so, is the first so one think, that we moved in. I think the audience just needs to sit
2: in that for a minute. <laughs> Wait,
3: Metropolitan city, so no different than probably any major major city. I in, had never in seen the, a cockroach the before. So so we literally pull in. It's nighttime. The taxi driver gets us to the house. We had a friend show us the house, and he's like showing it. And it's a big house because we were going to host people. And I'm walking through the house just stomping on cockroach after cockroach, and it was literally that night. It was loud. The street was loud. We we're in a busy street. But some
2: Somebody got serenaded. Like a mariachi band came to serenade our neighbors. So we sat outside and watched this band serenade. That felt very cultural. But we started playing a game like how many cockroaches can you step on in the middle of the night on the way to the bathroom.
3: By the way, that you can hear them eating potato chips in the middle of the night.
2: <laughs> yeah. Things were just so funny to us. So, yeah, there was a lot of fun in that first year. Even though um, I had an unexpected pregnancy that first year and all of a sudden the stakes got really high. Like it's not just you and I. It's going to be you and I and somebody else.
1: I keep listening to you guys thinking there's all these moments where fear or or anxiety could have just taken you out. Like sure. it could have just been too much, like too many cockroaches, too much Spanish, too overwhelming. And that idea of like walking with fear, but also finding the fun and joy. Like how did you balance both of those without being naive to what was actually some difficult and scary situations?
2: one of the first children's homes that we started to just spend 12 hours a day, six days a week probably there um, in the in the boys storm um, they had a baby pool in the middle of the, the the plumbing was gone like it didn't work anymore so they had a baby pool and I remember that's where the boys would urinate and then it was a chore at the end of the night to, to dump the baby pool out back. and I had never seen anything like that. I'd never seen kids who had no plumbing had lost some of that dignity, lived with that aroma in the air. Like there was just like we – if I'm really honest, I'd say we left that first morning thinking this will be a year. We're going to go build a bridge. We'll go back and cross the bridge a million times. But but it was within the first month that I was like you can't pro me out of here with a crowbar. Like this actually – as foreign and uncomfortable, like there's no way – we're not going to do everything we can.
3: Well, and I think I just told somebody recently, they were talking about what's it like to work with Beth. And I just said, my quote was, you can't beat the hope out of her. And I think that back and forth. And then for me, I'm a systems guy. I'm a, pro- I'm a process guy. Chris, you're like that, you know. So I would just start working in a system that didn't have plumbing and think, okay, how can I get plumbing? Or well, what can I do to make it better? And then as soon as I could get a process around it, it was easier to have hope or, or at least more Possible. And then Beth, of course, never lost hope and well, she's eternally hopeful.
2: I, I think some in some of our naivete and inexperience, God just continued to stoke those fires of hope. Yeah.
1: You said briefly that the goal was just one year. Yeah. Like, yeah. what was the dream when you went for that one year? How did you want to be the difference in a year there?
2: We had been to a children's home the year before that had food scarcity. And that whole year that we were saving our dollars to come back to Mexico, we were thinking if people just knew how to get dollars to kids in need, they would do it. We just have to build some kind of credibility between those that were going to receive resources and those that were going to give resources. And I I now see that bridge as something that goes both ways. But in my early naivete, I was thinking I'm going to take resources from those that have more physical resources and I'm going to deliver them to a place where people need it. So we thought we got to learn the language. We got to understand the culture of the hurt child. We got to develop some strong relationships. Then we're coming back to our matching SUVs and our cute condo and we'll just take care of it from here. But I ha- that was the original. But I mean, I honestly think that changed within a month. I mean, it was very, very quickly that we tasted what it is we had been dreaming about since we were 18.
3: We also met in the really beginning, maybe month in, some really strong national friendships that became our lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. And and they drew us to not only co-laboring with them in some things, but believing that God was really already there and f- filling the story of investing in the lives of others.
2: And we went motivated by a cause, and we quickly got captivated by a relationship. And a cause you can walk away from in a year, but relationships you can't. And so we're naturally relational. We developed some very intense relationships with kids and students and staff, and it's like, I'm not walking away from them. Um, this, and, and that's like when sometimes when people would say, like, when was the moment that the breath came I, can, I actually remember where I was sitting up on a hill at a children's home and thinking this is one home in this great big city and this is one city in this republic and this is one republic in the developing world. Like what in the world are these six kids that I'm spending time with every day? Like what is this possibly going to do about – about a number I didn't even know yet existed in terms of all the vulnerable kids in the world? And it was it, – I mean I can remember us talking about there was a little girl who was really sick and I held her all the time and and Todd was just like just pick her up every day and then we're going to tell people that we picked her up every day and then they're going to pick up their own kind of kid every day and like that idea of cascading a vision versus owning a vision was before we knew that that was cool that was that's what we did and
3: and I think still today I get emotional yeah. I love I love what God can do in the life of an orphan or a vulnerable child, and believe it's possible. And I think that's—I mean, I—I I get emotional now thinking about it, even that early. That I can know—I know exactly who you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I think I
0: hear this thread of favor. Right? The two of you are very key on that. You need some favor to go in your way in order to find that sustainability, the establishment early on of relationships, and that creates that thread. Then I also have just noticed that in each example that you give, you've really created conversations around problems that could have really deflated or sent you packing or they become problems to solve. And that really illustrates that third piece of a learner's spirit. Will you talk to me about like how passionate you are as being just continual learners and how that's been a thread for you? For me, it's I'm passionate about learning what can we do? How can we do it better? What, what,
3: teach, Chris, tell me tell me how you do this so I can apply it to my life. And that, that's just a part of my DNA. It's part of our DNA. It's part of the organization's DNA, which is its it, we are going to learn and we're going to do it the best way we can. And if we can't do it the best way, we're going to find out the best way we can and do it even better.
2: Even if it means breaking apart what we had built in order to rebuild it. Better.
3: Right, which is sometimes hard. And we've done sure. it. We've, we've done it. We've had to undo some things we've done wrong because we didn't learn right the first time and do them over.
2: I think, though, to credit Todd, He was really um, early on seeking God's face. And when I, again, look back, I think before we knew it was the right thing to do, we put nationals in the highest levels of leadership because they were our friends, they were our coworkers. They It made a lot of sense. And when I look at other organizations like ours that continues to put majority culture in the highest levels of leadership, you recognize they've actually just inevitably stunted their growth. And but nobody taught us that. We didn't hear that in a class. It was like seeking the Lord and developing relationships and doing what what God told us to do, which is I mean, it, it's just paid a lot of dividends that you can't re, you can't take a class about. Just like that whole spirit led thing is it's it's just was really important. Still is. <laughs> yeah, still is.
1: I think your willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit has taken the ministry and you all places that you probably never imagined as you packed up your car that first day to cross the border with your atlas. But now when you think about, okay, this is where we are, we're at five countries, 300 staff members, your family has also expanded along the way. It's not just the two of you anymore. There's a whole bunch of them. What's the dream to be the difference now? Like, what does that look like today? I find myself saying a lot lately, God doesn't count the way
2: we do. Like God counted like the widow's might, and God counted like a couple of fishes and loaves. And he just, he, he might be in the midst of what feels like the big deal to everybody else. He might be doing what was really the purpose of something. And when I think about the, the dream and the dream going forward, I think, oh, it is actually still about one. Even though our numbers are swelling or the footprint is growing, it's never, it can't ever stop being about I would do this—like, I can Mm -hmm. remember—makes me emotional—when I finally learned how to speak Spanish, saying to one little 11-year-old girl, I would have done this whole thing for you. Like, you're actually worth it. And I want us to still be an organization that would go to extraordinary lengths for one person.
0: To all of this end of relationship with each other and relationship with God, I want to ask this question because I was trying to think through the listener who hasn't gone yet— They haven't launched. They're like 22, 25 years behind you um, in this. And they're going, there's no way that I could have as much of a relationship with God as these two on this podcast sound like they have. Should I even go? Because it sounds lofty and really dependent on their belief in God. I'm just worried that I don't have a deep enough relationship. How would you respond to that, listener? I do not feel super spiritual. I don't feel like I'm a superhuman. I feel
3: like God has literally had every single step of the way to give me the next thing to do and how to do it. I mean, I put before him things like budgets and how to lead people. And I mean, it doesn't matter. I just want God. God just fills in that void and not expecting us to be anything superhuman, but to be genuinely open mm-hmm. and open handed to him.
2: Yeah. I, the year before my dad died the year before we moved to Mexico. And I had had this childhood that was kind of idyllic. So I built a theology around, unknowingly, around the idea that if you do things God's way, blessing follows, because that's all i had ever seen. Mm. So my dad was sick for 10 months and then passed away at 51 from cancer. And I had no room in my theology for a hard circumstance like that. And in the aftermath of his death, I had broken up with him and... Life away from God was very barren and lonely and disorienting. So I came back to God, Mm. um, but I had this like bruise. I had like a little bit of a limp with me. And I can, again, now with hindsight, realize God used that hard story in my life to tell me he's present and sovereign in hard things, which I was about to walk into a life where all I was going to hear is hard things. Had Had I walked into my missionary journey... With kind of my old theological framework, I don't know I, if I, I don't, I think I would have crushed and burned. So I think for any listener who feels like they've had disappointment, setback, discouragement, burnout, breakup, whatever, God ends up using even those pieces in the complexity of what He asks of us mm-hmm. um, going forward. So eventually I realized God's sovereign and, um, Today, I think if you had me sum up my whole theological thinking, it's probably still in that phrase, God's sovereign. So whatever happens, it's it's on him.
0: That's good. Yeah. That same couple that is saying, we don't have a deep enough relationship with Jesus that you just encourage deeply. Um, what if they raise their hand and say, I'm ready to go? What's the one piece of advice that you are going to give them before they pack up the Azuzu, whatever version it is now, um, and get their Google Maps out because they get yeah. a navigator. What piece of advice are you giving them as they as they head out on their journey? So this might be different than you expect, but Beth and I, when we talk
3: to new married couples or people who are getting married, we do some premarital counseling. We we use this phrase that we heard once: expectations are premeditated resentment. And I think that's what I would say: mm. go in open handed. Go in willing to learn. Don't assume you know everything, but go in willing to serve and give everything you have. So I I think I would just say it that simply. I don't think it's that complex. I think when we have expectations the way we think something's going to be or should be or should look, then it it ruins us. We just need to be open to what God's going to do.
0: That's
2: great. Um, I was already a missionary for at least a decade when I did a Bible study whose tagline was um, showing missionaries their spiritual Achilles heel before the devil shows it to them. And I it, and I think some form of self-awareness, good community, um, recognizing and confessing regularly my sin, like that posture of humility and that, that pursuit for – I mean, really, if I was going to be fancy, I'd say the pursuit for sanctification. Like mm. just recognize like God is – you're always going to be a work in progress. And the, the more you realize what your weaknesses are and how God can work through those, how they might impact the people around you, how you can confess your sin, um, how you can ask God for what you don't have. Like I can remember, I, obviously I was asking him for things like patience because I was kind of classically impatient. I was asking him for wisdom because we were in circumstances where we didn't know quite what to do. But I began to ask him over the course of my adult um, life, For things like capacity like you you actually have you're asking more of me than i'm capable you're the god of infinite like give me capacity and then i would watch him answer that prayer and just continuing like constantly acknowledging this is where i'm falling short this is what i don't have and then just trusting he's my dad and he'll give it to me Uh, that that kind of give and take confess and fill i think is really important rhythm to long-term ministry life Uh, that's great
1: i feel like we've already heard this answer come through but if you're talking to that couple is this worth it in spite of cockroaches and hard and loss and difficulty? Is this worth it?
3: A hundred thousand percent. We talk about all the time. I mean, there's, we would be not, not that we'd be miserable if we did something else. So there's lots of other great things to do and, and grateful people do them. But for us, God created us in this capacity to work together, to serve in this capacity and in the way we do. And I think, there are, there are hard days and there are hard days where I've said I'm done. And when we lived in Mexico, I, we'd say get in the kid, car, kids were driving to the border. And I knew by the time I get to the border, I'd be miserable because I'd be walking away from what God called us to do. And just God uniquely designed us for this. And, and I think he uniquely designs people for other things. I think it's just stepping into that story and letting him lead.
2: And just be honest with the listeners, like how many times do you think you've mentally quit? Oh, hundreds, hundreds of times,
3: <laughs> but but those are just moments of frustration and stress and tension. And but the, but really, at the end of the day, when I'm in front of the Lord, when Beth and I are debriefing our days, we know this is what God's called us to do, and it's worth it because we see the faces of the kids we serve, we see the faces of the friends and the staff that we serve alongside, and so it's worth it. It's it it for us. It's it's definitely uniquely. He's uniquely designed us to do it.
2: And this is a funny answer to your question. Um, First, I want to say whether I'm sitting in front of a single or a couple, a student or a retiree, this is actually true across the diversity of people that God asks to step up. I can remember really clearly when I, I, for a long time, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I viewed donors as a means to an end. Like this was my bullseye, Orphan and Vulnerable Children. So donors, I'm going to use you to help accomplish my goal. And there was this beautiful moment of deep conviction one night in a worship session when i realized i was looking at a donor who was in the worship service with us and i realized oh my gosh god you actually like him in the same exact ways that that you like this orphan you are doing more than one thing at a time you're you're using one act to impact the and it's an exchange and all of a sudden the back to back ministry footprint went from the amount of kids that we were serving to a much wider circle mm that involved all these concentric circles of folks who are in various levels of engagement. And like, you're actually doing, and I think my finite brain can only capture a little bit, because I can't see all the second degrees of like, somebody's obedient, and then tell somebody else who inspires their obedience, I never even hear about that. Like, like, how many ways are you using this to do something else? And I think that's the wonder of God adding up all of our obedience to do something bigger than us—that's what I would say to someone. Is like, don't don't think as you're making up your newsletter, I touched this many kids on this many days and mm-hmm. this many. Like, actually, all you did was be faithful, and God did far more than you are even aware of. And that that's the that gives tremendous meaning to days, even when the days are hot or full of cockroaches or or are discouraging or or. Things didn't go the way you wanted.
0: Beth and Todd, we are so grateful that you were willing to share your story and your voice with us today. And I think the way that you just ended that, Beth, is really important because Sammy and I are sitting in this space with you because you've been the difference for us. Like we're here on the same team because you chose to pack up and to drive south and to invest your lives into others a few years before we were ready uh, to jump on <laughs>
3: that, few years. or born. That same, <laughs> just kidding.
0: Yeah, I was around. Uh, Sammy was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." I was about. a child. Yes. <laughs> but we got to join in the middle of this journey with you, and uh, so as you shared earlier, Beth, of if it was just for this one person, like part of my bodily response was it was for me. It was an open invitation to join something that God was doing in my life. And I know that's the same for Sammy. And so we just wanted to say thank you for being our first guests, but secondly, for being our friends. And third, for saying yes, so that it uh, held a path for us that was already lit for us to walk down that God was inviting us to.
1: Chris, I'm so glad that you used the end of our time with Beth and Todd to thank them for saying yes and for the way that it opened a door for us honestly, I wanted to speak up, but I I got a little bit emotional thinking about the way that one person's yes opens the door for others to walk through and have their own experiences. And it's really transformed my life being a part of ministry and a part of this ministry specifically. And so I was really glad that you took time just to thank them for that.
0: It really came from listening to the honesty and the transparency with which they answered our questions that I found myself saying, I would say yes again to this today because of the way in which both Todd and Beth hold the space uh, for unity and for equality and for a pursuit of relationship. But I want to ask you the question, Sammy, as you said, it, it was a yes for you. And because Todd and Beth had gone first, created a space for you to say yes Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Who did you say yes to and what were you about in that?
1: Yeah, so I moved to Mexico a little bit different than Beth and Todd. I didn't have to use an atlas because at the time we did have GPS. Um, But I moved because of one kid that I knew and I knew he was in second grade and I knew that he knew 11 of 26 letters in the alphabet and I wanted to teach him to read. It was that one relationship that moved me across the border It's kind of like what Beth said. She said, like, they went captivated by a cause and were quickly captivated by relationship. Like, that is what has the power to move people.
0: Yeah, it becomes really transformative in our journeys. Uh, My story was a little uh, unique in that I had been working as a youth minister in a church for eight years, and it was really clear that that season was coming to a close. And I asked my wife, Sarah— what she thought our next step would be. And she asked me a really, really pertinent question and said, who would you want to spend the next 10 years with? And I wrote down three names of people that I wanted to have a conversation with.
1: But they were people. It wasn't a cause you wanted to be a part of. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it was a name that had Todd on it because I thought – this is someone who has a leadership skill that I don't know that I can catch. And I think really what I meant when I wrote that name down was this is someone with such a learner spirit that I don't think they're catchable. And that was one of my takeaways from this episode is continuing to hear that learner's spirit that uh, Beth and Todd carry in their leadership of the organization, but also in their relationships. Todd sat down to our interview today with the same clipboard that he had when many have shown up on a mission trip that he would have been leading because he carries a clipboard with him everywhere.
1: On the back, it even says, do it right or do it over.
0: Because he wants to learn so much that maybe you feel that externally that he's saying that for you on the back because you're reading the clipboard. But I think it's really for him that he's saying, Todd, every day, do it right or do it over because there's a better way. I can learn more. I can be a better leader. I could be a better husband. I could be a better father. He's constantly pushing in that space. And that's not to put him on a pedestal in that world, but it's just to create a conversation around what it means when you go after a relationship and you choose to learn.
1: Well, it's a challenge for me to think about where are there areas that I feel like I've got pretty much under control or I'm pretty competent in where I could actually learn more and maybe... Unlearn some things and learn some new ones. I feel like they model that so well that it's a challenge to me to do the same in not only work and ministry, but also all areas of my life.
0: Yeah, it's a holistic approach to everything. When we say, I want to be about relationships and I want to be a learner and be the difference audience, we're just inviting you to do the same. Take questions from this podcast and ask them of your community. Take a couple of questions and ask them of yourself. We'll just leave you with these two. Where is a space that you could move from cause to relationship just to deepen your roots a little bit more? And what is a topic or a concept that you can engage in another level of learning to be able to enhance your journey and the journey of people around you?
1: Well, that is it for episode one. Um, I'm pretty excited to continue this journey and continue to hear stories. We're not just going to be interviewing people who work for Back to Back Ministries. We are interviewing people from all over the world. We're really grateful to Kohatch Mason for use of their podcast studio. If you want to learn more about Back to Back Ministries and Todd and Beth, there are links in the show notes and we'll see you on episode two.